0: Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utburn, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Hugh Gaither with us today from Features, that's F. E E T U R E S dot com. And what we are going to be talking about is the secrets of a purpose driven business. So in the pre show, Hugh and I were talking about a little bit of the story behind his entrepreneurial transition because he was in a leadership position at a family business that had been around for a very long time, but came to a sunset and he had to figure out how to pivot while his kids were in college, which is a very, usually a very high cash out flow time that will make it very hard to simultaneously invest in a business. So Hugh, I am really looking forward to hearing your story and learning about how you turned your business really into a purpose, because to me, that is a big part of what world class is really about.
1: Well, Doug, a pleasure to meet you. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about features on your Terminal Value podcast. You set the stage pretty accurately. I I grew up in a Great family in a small sort of textile based town in Western North Carolina, mm-hmm. Newton, North Carolina, Catawba County, lots of hosiery and socks and textiles and furniture yeah. and at college and graduate school and, and army and went back to this family business and did kind of fall into a leadership role. And the family business grew healthily. Uh, it started as ladies hosiery and, and soon well, actually, sports. Can, socks, but, can I interject yeah, real
0: quickly? Thank you for sorry. your
1: service in the army. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate Please continue. that. So the, the business began to flourish. It, we got into the sports sock business, the sports sock, the sports category. Sporting goods had a big boom in the late 70s for the next 10 or 15 years. And we were part of that. And I enjoyed that part of the business. I grew up, my family was always sports and athletic oriented. So, but as you said, unfortunately in 2000, 2001, although we had grown really healthily, we, we made a couple of uh, decisions that didn't end up being the right ones. And our business came to an end. And so. At the time, we had four grown kids, two boys and two girls, and the three older kids are just one year apart. And in 2001, they were all in college, all, all three of them, uh, one, three—were were in college. So I, you're exactly right. I had to figure something out pretty quickly. I'd enjoyed the sports sock part of the business. I thought about, do I just go... Get a job with somebody else and maybe use those leadership skills. But I'd enjoyed the sports sock part of the business, and I noticed that in the local sports shops, which at the time may have been Foot Locker and yeah, Foot Action and stuff like that, the sports socks that were there looked the same as they had 20 years ago in 1980 when Ridgeview had started getting into the sports sock business. So I thought "Hmm, maybe there's an opportunity to take advantage of newer technology and make a better sports sock product performance sock and with that simple an idea started the idea of building a business plan i did learn a couple things a lot of times the things you learn in a business venture whatever it is are the things that you conclude maybe weren't the best thing weren't necessarily always the right things and so this time around unlike what we've done before i decided we were going to be a brand we were not going to be a manufacturer we were going to be focused on marketing and building the brand. So, with a couple of little basic things like that.
0: So, I was going to say, being from Oregon, there's a company from around here that follows that model to a pretty extensive degree. And for anybody who's uninitiated, that brand is Nike. And actually, uh, oddly enough, Phil Knight now lives not that far from my house. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, he lives what? in the what's called the Bald Peak area over in the Chehalem Valley uh, region of Portland, or of the Oregon, not quite Portland anymore, but. <laughs> Well, my first
1: experience in the sporting goods business was when Nike came on the scene. His first company was called Blue Ribbon Sports. If you yep. read the book, Shoe Dog, you knew that. And, so, and so that's how they started. They landed in the U.S. He brought this idea of futures. He was able to, to take orders that he had in the U.S. to the manufacturers over in Asia and get them to manufacture product. Anyway, the story was amazing. And so we watched all that happened and the sporting goods business both at retail and brand wise kind of exploded and so i knew this time around in my other company we had made things with other people's names on them and so we were going to be a brand we i felt like that would build a we were going to focus on the brand and on marketing so we were going to use manufacturing partners which we did and and have done and we were going to reinvest we're going to make a premium product that consumers would see the value and be willing to pay for and premium enough that we could reinvest profits back into building the brand. In my old company, it was all about price. You were having to lower your price. And this time around, we wanted to be different. The one ingredient that I didn't plan on that turned out to be maybe the most important one in the business was my two sons. My son, John, had had just graduated from Davidson College and Uh had spent a summer out on the West Coast with my brother, Andy, a golf professional, just wanted to get away from North Carolina and see something different. And I asked him to join me in the company and I said, John, I have no idea what's going to happen, where this thing's going to go. Fortunately, John said yes. He said he wouldn't. He came back. And what turned out to be a really key ingredient for us is John turns out to be really different than me. And that's a really good thing in a small business. And I, I didn't realize that at first. But at the very beginning, just with a couple of us there in the office, John would question me about things. I was saying we should do this. And John would say, well, wait a minute, Dad. And it turns out that's just such a good balance in a small business because you end up getting two perspectives, two sets of eyes, and you think through important decisions much more carefully and thoughtfully, and you make better decisions. Ultimately, his younger brother, Joe, joined the company in 2009 when he graduated from the University of North Carolina. But Joe had an early contribution because one of those uh, fall evenings, I can still remember sitting in our home in Newton, he was the only kid at home the other one in college he was 15 10th grade doing his homework and my wife and Joe sitting there and I said to to them out loud I said you know we're going to have to figure out a name for this brand we're going to develop and maybe a name that conveys the features and the benefits of the product and without looking it up from his 10th grade homework Joe goes features f-e-e-t-u-r-e-s and I said wow that just might work. And here we are 21 years later and you just read it right at the beginning of our of our podcast. And it's been a great name. And so Joe made an early contribution. He was immediately connected and he joined later. And so the combination, the chemistry between the three of us has been an important part of how we've been able to grow our business. But I'll tell you that the trigger that made things, we created a really good product in the very beginning. It was different from the other products in the market that was important. And I took the well at the beginning. John and I did a little bit of everything, but but eventually I started focusing on being out in the marketplace, finding customers. John focused on more a little bit of running the operations of the business. Yep. And one of the trips, so there I am, taking hopping on a plane every Monday morning and going out and calling on these small running shops around the country. And on one of the trips, this is this wasn't the first This was about the second, maybe the th- maybe even the third year in the business. I'm in an airport somewhere in a strange place out in the middle of the United States, and I'm waiting to get on a plane. And by that time, I've got a features polo shirt that I'm wearing. So somebody in the gate area actually walks up to me and says, oh, do you work with features? And I say, yeah. And they say, well, you know, that's my favorite sock. And I went home and the next morning I said, John, you're not going to believe what happened. I just had somebody come up to me and they told me how much they appreciated our product. And that was the beginning of realizing that our product was making a difference. Like I said before, not that we didn't make a good product, but it was all about the cost and cutting the cost and the order with this customer and that because this this was different. And eventually that started to happen more and more often. And it didn't happen just to me. It happened to John. And we would go to races like the Boston Marathon and the New York City Marathon Expos where we would meet consumers. We would work with the retailer and actually sell our products eventually to the end consumer. And again, we started getting more and more of that feedback. And that really made us understand that our product was actually making a difference. And it was John, the more thoughtful part of our, of our group that said, let's develop a mission around this. And so eventually we said, you know, we feel like our products operate in this healthy, active lifestyle category. And we think We're going to make products that help people perform their best. Whatever it is they're doing, whether they're running, whether they're walking, whether they're doing Pilates or CrossFit Mm -hmm. or whatever, they're active. They want to be active. They want to stay healthy and they want to do their best. And so that became a real purpose for us to say we're making products that help people perform their best. And we still say that today, 21 years later. And now with our whole employee base, we get on a huddle every Monday and we start it with news. Does anybody have any news, weddings, uh, birthdays, anniversaries, things like that? But more times than not, somebody else, not me anymore, has had one of these features experiences where somebody tells them about how our product has, has made a difference. And that's what makes everybody that's part of our organization, have a smile and feel good about what they're doing. So no matter what they do, no matter what their contribution is in the business, we all feel like there's this purpose there and that makes all the difference, I would
0: say, Doug. Outstanding. That's great. Well, so th- there are a couple of things that you were saying there that I wanted to unpack. First of all, you're, you're talking a little bit about how sometimes you'll start off one way and then veer another way and then another. And there was a time a number of years ago where I was like, okay, well, you know, if you're going to start a business, what you should do is get all the best practices and that way you can do it right to begin with. I've come to understand that that's nonsense because you know, essentially the situation will always be different and you can't plan everything out. So what you essentially have to do is get a kind of ish, work, maybe workable idea, really just start and then start pivoting as you go along. Cause otherwise you'll never start. Uh, otherwise you'll just plan and plan and plan and never do anything. And exactly. so I think that is the thing that I've heard over and over and over and over again is that just about everyone I've ever talked to who has taken a business kind of the distance to where they've built it into a brand, into something that's sustainable. It did not happen the first time they shot at the target. They had to adjust and adjust and adjust and adjust and adjust. And so what I really took out of that is that building to a world-class business process, it's not like a point A, point B, draw a straight line between the two of them and just walk down it. It's that, you know, you take one step, you say, okay, what are my options here? You take one more step and you say, what are my options here? And it's an iterative process where every step along the way, you have to reassess what you're doing to try to, because sometimes you'll be right. Sometimes you'll be wrong. If you do it right, when you're right, you'll harvest some pretty significant gains. But you know, the idea that you can just know what to do ahead of time and it'll always work out is silly.
1: Absolutely. And we've pivoted. If we pivoted once, we probably pivoted a hundred times in the 21 years. Maybe one of the first ones was, Our first product, we had this line that said one sock, all sports, because at the time people were making socks for tennis and basketball and running. And we thought, well, we got a product that works for everything. But it took us about a year and a half to learn that we had to have variety because the retailers that we were dealing with, the consumers we were dealing with, they wanted something new. So eventually... Uh, John realized, dad, we can't just, we got to move away from that. We've got to have products that, whether we say it on the package or not, we got to make sure that they work for a variety of different things. So, you know, that definitely, that that was an early pivot. Another thing was we were selling the run specialty market, and yet we weren't saying that in a manner of speaking. And John said, you know, I think running was in a bit of a boom, quite frankly, when we began in 2002 for about seven or eight years, it had really healthy growth. And so John said, you know, I think we need to focus on run even though we're going to try to work our way into the outdoor specialty market and this footwear market over here and even the sporting goods market, let's use Run as the platform. And he was right about that. So we focused on the Run market. Things we said about the brand were related to Run, even though we took the brand to a variety of other places. And for several different years, for several years, that was really a healthy way to go. So that was another pivot that we met. we still say the running specialty market is our core market. It's our largest yeah. market even, even today, even though we consider ourselves an omni-channel brand, if you will. The biggest pivot we made was in during the pandemic, I guess in 2020, when 85% of our business was with retailers. And yeah. around March 15th, they all closed their doors. They were forced yeah. to close their doors. Do you remember that?
0: yeah, Yes, so, I do.
1: So 85% of our business, wham, just comes to a stop. And Joe, who's leading marketing and specifically digital marketing in that case, said, you know, I think there's an opportunity here. If we pivot to make more of a focus on our digital business directly to the consumer, I think we'll get a good response from that. And he was exactly right about that. We had been building our D2C business several years before that. So we had a platform. It wasn't like we were starting from scratch. But he said, I think we can pivot. We did. We had to talk to the lenders we work with and say, hey, we think we're going to do this. We think it's going to work out, but are you there to help us in case we need a little working capital or something like that? They gave us a thumbs up and it turned out to be absolutely true. So we went from having about 12 or 13 percent of our business in D2C to the next year. It was over 20. We doubled the business from that year. And today it's approaching it's kind of 25 to 30 percent of our total business. So it continues to grow. Because we feel that part of our business builds our brand everywhere that we sell it.
0: Yeah. Well, and because I think there's a really distinctive advantage to that model. And, you know, of course, you're closer to it than I am. But just from my perspective, I'm saying, okay, if you're going through retailers, number one, you have to pay distributors. Which means you because and that means you have to transport the product from your manufacturer to the distributor, the distributor takes a margin, then it has to be transported again from the distributor to the retailer who also has a markup and margin. Well, and so if you're selling through both channels, then you know you will almost certainly have some kind of covenant that restricts how much you're able to discount if you're selling direct to consumer. But what that means is your margins will be significantly higher than if you're going through distribution and retail. And now that is really important because now you can invest in R&D, you can invest in employee retention, you can invest in customer retention. Because like a lot of people think that, hey, if I have a good product, then customers will just keep buying it. Well, I'm sure they probably will. But why not invest in those customers who buy your product? Why not put some rewards program or appreciation programs together? Ordinarily, you'd just be fleshing that out in margins to distributors and retailers anyway. Why not reinvest some of that back? And I think the people who that get overlooked the most are the people that actually buy your stuff are your customers
1: right. right you're describing a pretty accurate situation we actually don't use distributors in the united states we have a big distribution center back in my okay. home area of hickory north carolina and so the, the product comes from the manufacturer there and it goes directly at, but we do have sales reps that call yeah. on these retailers around the country so you're definitely right not only is the margin stronger for the business lot like ours if you think about it, consumers who buy product on your website, they pay with a credit card the day you ship it out the door. So yep. that's a big difference in cash. The retailer typically gets and, 30 days or 60 days to pay. So, so yeah, wait,
0: yeah, I want to pause for a second. Okay, so for anybody who's listening that that doesn't have an accounting and finance background, what we're talking about is accounts receivable. So the way that accounts receivable works is that okay, so for example, let's say that there is a retailer who is carrying the socks, right? Okay. Yep. So they're carrying Hugh's socks and they sell it. Okay. Well, so the agreement will usually be that sometimes they will purchase the inventory and then resell it where they own the inventory. In that case, mm-hmm. Hugh will get paid usually sometime between 60 and 90 days after they purchase the inventory or in some other models, then Hugh will own the inventory. It'll sit at the retailers. That's called consignment. And then when it sells, he gets paid 60 to 90 days after that. Those 90 days add up. And so then what can end up happening is if you have a big rush in demand, you say, hey, great. We just made a whole bunch of money on paper, but we don't have any cash yet. And all of our bills are now due. Right. Yeah. You're
1: exactly right. So there's a big, big opportunity there for that cash cycle, because we're paying for the raw materials and all, yeah. all the manufacturing costs over here on the one side. And all of our business really don't do any consignment business, but you're right. The okay. retailers typically get 30 to 60 days to pay for the product. So it's a big, big difference. And so we consider ourselves today an omni-channel brand. So you can buy features on our website. You can buy features in a variety of specialty stores. You can buy features in Dick Sporting Goods and Academy and Athleta and REI. And we work really diligently to make the pricing to be the same particularly as it, well it relates to any of those we don't want the consumer to come to be able to buy a product that features less expensively than you buy it in the running store that's Correct. down the street from you or at dick's sporting goods or one of these other people now we will give you know if somebody signs up and gives us their email address which is important we're trying to build our consumer base they get we give them some little discount or something like that. So you know how that works so there are definitely some incentives but we try to maintain this level of equality and in, if we ever promote something like when it comes time to Black Friday and things like that, when we do that promoting online, we also allow our retailers to do the same thing in the store. So typically we try to keep that balanced, if you will. And in the end, we think for the most part, as the brand gets stronger, as more people know about the brand and they're basically paying the same thing for the product, no matter where they get it, that makes features more valuable, whether it's in the running shop or a big sporting goods store yeah. or wherever, wherever it might be. So you're exactly right. That gives a nice, Balance to our business, and the more strength we can gain with that end consumer, the stronger the brand is going to be. So that's yeah. something we certainly are continuing to focus on as we go forward.
0: Well, and uh, yes, absolutely. And okay, so kind of coming back to our initial, pardon the pun, or the initial purpose of our conversation, we were talking about a purpose-driven business. So tell me how kind of the mission of features has evolved, and what the driving purpose has really turned into.
1: Well, as I mentioned, there was a point three or four years into our business that we created a mission and a long term goal and a set of core values. We look at that every year and we've been thoughtful about those core values and their quality and simplicity and accountability and adaptability and innovation and sustainability. And they all mean something to us. And they're not just words that are written on a sheet of paper. We've made some hard decisions. Quality, for example, we have six manufacturing partners, two are in the U.S., four in Asia, and occasionally we've had shipment come in from Asia, and there's a quality issue. And if that's the case, if we eventually say, you know, we just can't put this out on the market to our customers, we guarantee to our customers the quality of our... And so we end up having to refuse something like that, that we paid to get over here. And anyway, those can be hard financial decisions to make, but ultimately... If you really believe those core values that you've written down on paper, they they mean something to you. And and I guess the second one, we have accountability. We think that's really important that we're accountable for who we are and what we do. We're accountable to our coworkers. We're accountable to the partners that manufacture the product with for us, for the marketing firms that work with us. We're certainly accountable to our customers out there and now our consumers. And we take that seriously. And if somebody comes to us and said, Hey, Here's a problem. The first thing we do is say, Hey, it's on us. We apologize. We're going to take care of it. And I think that's one thing that I learned a long time ago, probably from my father, my family. And in those early days, sitting there when there were just two or three of us, the people sitting around me saw me. I took a call back then. We didn't have a customer service team. And I was the one that said, Hey, it's on us. I apologize. We'll take care of it. And now that comes second nature to everybody that we deal with. So I think and from that, our mission has definitely evolved a little bit over time. It's always had this idea of making products that help people. But it was probably right as we were going into the pandemic that we realized that running wasn't the only exercise or activity that people could use our products for. And so the idea of aspiring to a healthy active lifestyle seem to be a broader category for us to operate in yeah. because our products help whether you're playing golf or playing pickleball or walking or yeah. running or whatever it is your socks need to work for you, you if yeah. you're thinking about your socks that's typically a problem so
0: yeah. so well, we said, you know
1: oh. Go ahead. I
0: was going to say just expanding on that idea. One thing, at least that I've observed is that generally speaking, people, especially on the consumer side, will be willing to pay higher prices and express higher loyalty. If, you know, the the closer they get to feeling like a product was made specifically for them, because like where you were talking about how you kind of essentially tried to have an omni activity stock that is, I mean, you can make the exact same stock in a cornucopia of colors. And but then market every single one differently because Absolutely. the closer somebody gets to thinking that this set of socks was made precisely for them, the more loyal they they'll be, the more money they'll be willing to pay for it, and the more they will promote your brand to everyone they know.
1: Absolutely, and one of the things we did, and this goes back ten or fifteen years ago, we put a guarantee on our product, and there are a variety of guarantees that you see in the marketplace on all kinds of products, and. There are 30-day guarantees, and there's sure. a guarantee if you find a defect, you can send us money, blah, blah, blah. Our guarantee is total, and it actually says it reads on the package today. If you're not satisfied with this features product for any reason, you can return it for a replacement or a full refund. No questions asked. And we live by that today, yeah. and so you, as a result, you can imagine – we better make sure the quality of the product that we send out is going to meet that test, so to speak. And so we stand by that today just as much as we did all, all those years ago. And so this category that we operate in, this healthy, active lifestyle, that definitely expanded. And eventually we said this purpose that you and I both talked about was to make products that help people perform their best. We in a company inspired to a healthy, active lifestyle, we think our consumers all over the world. Yeah do do the same and so we want to kind of meet them where they are and we want to make a product that helps them do better in whatever it is that they're doing and that that has kind of that has a really good feeling to it and everybody in our company no matter what they do they can understand that and we get testimonials constantly to, today from a variety of different sources and sometimes our customer service so we just had one this, this week they'll share that with the whole company And it's interesting to see the reaction and the response that we get, not just from me, not just from those of us that are out there in the marketplace, but from anybody and everybody. And I can just assure you, it makes people feel good about what they're doing. And I know from my 27 years with another company, a great company in a lot of different ways, but we've got everybody in our company honestly think they have a smile on their face when they come to work and they like what they're doing because they understand that we're doing
0: something that makes a difference. Outstanding. Well, Hugh, it's been a great conversation today. Give us your last one or two thoughts. And then, well, I, I was going to say, then give out your website, but we already know the website, feetures.com, scom features.com. But give us your last thoughts and then let everybody know if there's, you know, what your favorite social networks are.
1: Well, my last thought would be the thing that I've learned from my sons, in particular, my family. Again, I've got two daughters, actually one of my daughter's, has worked for the company. She's working for the company again. She just came on board to help us in the golf market, which is a new market for features. But I've learned how important it is, Doug, what everybody does. And so I've learned to say thank you often and to anybody and everybody because everybody plays a role in what happens and respect what everybody does. It's all important. And I've learned if you're thankful and you respect people and you show that, We've also had a a good saying from the very beginning that just says treat people like we expect to be treated. And we try to set that example. And I I think we do that just by our own example by the Uh family that we grew up into. And as a result, we have an organization that kind of operates the same way. We just had our first DEI workshop that involved our entire company and everybody participated. And trust me, we got people in all kinds of different roles. And they all understood why this, you know, this is another one of these evolutionary things that we've learned we've got to be better and we've got to do the right thing. And we serve a diverse customer base. I think we've got to be the same way in, inside. And so I think realizing how important all the people are in your organization and making sure they realize how much you appreciate what they do for the business every day makes can make all the difference. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Hugh, I really, really appreciate your time today. It's an awesome conversation. Thank you, Doug. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed getting to know you and being part of your Terminal Value Podcast.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of the video. There's just a couple of things that I need from you right now. Number one is I need you to subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber to the channel, please hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on. That way you will know every time I publish new content. Number two, comment, share your thoughts. I want to know what you did and didn't like. What should I make next? And number three, share this with your friends. Go on to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever you you hang out socially, and then post a link to this video and let people know what you like about it and make sure to tag me. And then what I would also like to do is I would like to offer you the most incredible gift ever. And this is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract related costs. If you are a decision maker to a business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who is a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. And in exchange, I am going to give you a absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. Uh, The value of this, again, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. So anyway, just hit the button below for the most incredible free gift ever. Make sure to subscribe, share and comment, and watch the next video because I'll be at you with more.